Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Hello and welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. It is Jen and I in the studio today. Um, Beyond is busy right now. Yeah. <laughs> like this a is lot our third on. take on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> third take, third times the third times the charm. Is that the yep. that's the same? Yes, let's hope it is. That's right. We'll see. This, this will is be a, a very charming episode. <laughs> <laughs> An empirical test of is that true or not. Um, but we wanted to kind of spend today uh, talking a little bit more about a special segment on the podcast called Fly on the Wall. Yes. Uh, last season, we introduced this idea uh, in a way, just kind of exploring whether or not the community would really enjoy it. And the listeners have loved it so far yeah. uh, from the feedback that we've gotten. And so we wanted to um, both kind of contextualize kind of where Fly on the Wall is going and what maybe you and I make of that. Yeah. Because it's a weird thing to talk about it your is. own practice. I think we're going to, it will evolve as the more that we do it. Yeah. So last season we talked about the idea of doing it mm-hmm. um, and what was in the idea form. And then when we started doing it, it's, I think it's already starting to evolve. To change, which is natural. I yes. mean, that's very much how we are <laughs> yes. as, as humans, um, like specifically us. Um, when we have an idea, it starts that way, but it, you know, grows into something else yeah. entirely as it grows legs of its own and then it's running off and having all these new experiences um, because we introduced it as just talking about a single case over a long period of time. Yeah. Like that was the, the idea so that people could see into the therapy encounter and really get a feel for how we kind of make sense of the treatment as it progresses. Like what's it actually look like in the room mm-hmm. And how we're making sense of it. Yeah. I think that one of the barriers to that, well, there's there's a few. Um, what is that like for our clients to hear mm-hmm. us talk in that way? That's what I'm... Because our clients listen to this podcast. Often. So yes. often. Yes. Um, but then also, we're still telling a story of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's... It's not the real thing. Yeah. And it feels so hard. Like, how do I really let someone in on this right. when it's me trying to remember it and then communicate it with a language yeah. that when it's so much a felt experience. Yes. So we want to bring in like diversity in how we're sharing Yeah, another it. perspective. Because yes. I feel like Melissa's case provides an excellent template so to track along its progression. And so what of the therapeutic experience is maybe something else we can point our attention to? Like, mm-hmm above just the clinical encounter because we're humans first who have a professional practice as therapists. And so that tension is interesting in and of itself. And it shows up to me at least in my life kind of seems to bleed into itself Mm -hmm. in different ways. 
Um, one of the things that you and I talked about before we started recording was the idea of these themes that come up in therapy that seem to be so prevalent across cases and then even in our own lives. Yeah. Which is strange. Like no one's communicating, as far as I know, I'm not living in like the Truman Show and right. like have like a curated, <laughs> you know, something is what's happening in Bridger's life right now. Mm-hmm. Like it's everywhere and I'm just seeing it all the time. But there are definitely these dynamics that emerge in some of my therapy relationships um, that seem to be so similar across yeah. different cases. And additionally, those seem to kind of show up in my personal life as well. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And I'd love to have space to talk about that as well. Yes. And I think the more we can, my desire be to share, like, what are my actual experiences and feelings as a therapist, Mm -hmm. not just from a place of what intervention am I using or how am I conceptualizing a case, but like, what's my most subjective experience in this role as a therapist? Like, what are those moments that are in session that I take home with me at night? And how yeah. are they impacting and affecting me and my relationships? And I love that you brought up your subjective experience because to me, we talked about this on a first take of this. Yes, let's try it Where we have this um, kind of tendency within the field of psychotherapy to objectify ourselves and our clients when we tell about a case. Yeah. Like you're only seeing a very small portion that has been remembered multiple times yeah. and retold multiple times. You know, it's the to me it's a it's an honest version of the the fish kept getting bigger kind of story. <laughs> like yeah, I caught a fish and it was like at first just like a, you know, 12 inches long and then it turned into a 3 feet long. Yeah. It was the craziest <laughs> night of my life or whatever. We don't do that intentionally, but with our own case presentations, we can sometimes uh, tell a full, you know, six months condensed down into one moment that we're talking so about. So it gives an illusion of something that maybe wasn't as true to the felt experience yes. moment to moment to get there. Yes. And for me, I know that when I'm thinking about my cases, I'm not really thinking about the beginning or the middle. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about where they are now or perhaps where they ended. Yeah. And then when I think about that relationship, I'm like, oh, yeah, it did actually go through a ton of change yes. um, from when we started to when we ended. But it's like that, you know, you don't notice how long your hair is getting until mm-hmm. you see a picture of six months ago and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's way different. It's a great metaphor. But throughout the days, you don't really notice. Um, so that to me is another element that I would like fly on the wall to speak to directly is like, there is a life that is unfolding in the process of a therapist's professional, you know, practice. Mm -hmm. And what is that really like? And we, we fit the candidate role there so we can talk about our own as well. Well, and it may be coming out of the group retreat from this last weekend, Mm -hmm. But there, we held an immersive group retreat um, for other clinicians, and it was beautiful to see all of these professionals come and share about how human they are Mm. and the struggle and the lack of feeling connected and seen and some of the burnout and frustration and the self-doubt and insecurity, but to do it all together and to get to share that was so rejuvenating and life-giving. And so I think there's something to that with this segment. Mm -hmm. 
of what is it like to like speak to those things yeah so that other people are oh man i'm not feeling that alone like that is something in this field and it's it's an okay thing <laughs> as long as we can be in it together and yes. not have to like hide it in the shadows of our job yes and that i feel like is something that we're in a way whether it be implicitly or explicitly taught to do mm -hmm. the hiding or the even the objectifying or the fragmenting like you need to have clear boundaries between who yeah. you are in the room as a therapist and then when you leave you need to leave all of that there in the room and not real. change <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> not real, real. Like, <laughs> that to me involves functional dissociation mm -hmm. like you would have to be dissociated in one way or another yeah. um, taking you know, either not taking things out of the room or not showing up as your full self in the room. Yeah. And sometimes that has utility. Absolutely. Uh, like if you feel like, nope, I don't want my clients to come home with me. I think that's a, a beautiful thing. Um, it does take some compartmentalization. And so that has a cost and a weight and a process that yeah. you go through um, to really make that as clean as you desire it mm -hmm. to be. But I think for so many of us, we don't intend to take clients home, but it just comes up mm -hmm. in our minds and hearts. Like, I'm just thinking about this person because I'm in a relationship with them. Yeah. It's a therapy relationship. It's very, you know, ethically boundaried and we're paying attention to, you know, power dynamics and all sorts of things, but it's still very much a relationship. And so just as with other relationships, I think about you yeah. and I think about our time together and what's going on in your life and how you're really, you know, in process mm -hmm. with the stuff we're doing in therapy and what is that like for you to take it outside yeah. and try it in real life i think in our group supervision time we often ask like how are our strategies as humans showing up with our clients or not with our clients but about our clients yeah and that to me is like this really like sacred subjective place to go to very vulnerable yes yeah i feel okay to do that but i think that is like the intention for me of this time is to say like gosh what are those things playing out yeah and what does that feel like and how is it affecting us and yeah yeah hmm. so what do you make of this as we as we sit here now each take, each time we start talking about it, I have different ideas. New ideas. <laughs> this is why we shouldn't plan. <laughs> like, just turn the thing on and let's go. Yeah. Um, should we go with the same theme? No. What's going? What's coming up for you now? I don't know. All of it. <laughs> I was just now thinking, which I don't know if this is direction I want to go, but we'll figure it out. Yeah. Of what of my greatest strategies as a caretaking, like a two <laughs> in me, the Enneagram two. And uh, I don't want to hurt people, and I want to, I want them to feel taken care of. And if they're hurting from other things, I hurt with you. But when it's me that has hurt you, mm. it is like mm. death. Like, yeah. and I'm seeing that happen with my clients of um, our relationship waking up ghosts for them or being. Like a, this new level of closeness and connection that I'm in a place to hurt them mm -hmm. and not ways that I mean to. Or that you would want to. Yes. But I may show up, you know, five minutes late to something or oh. cancel a session because we have a vacation coming up or, you know, even a client I have who's in college and she's headed off to college and that it's not me intending to abandon her, but her feeling is like we have three months apart. Yep. Where we won't have 
much relationship and contact. And so her feeling like you, I won't have that support. Mm -hmm. And so then what that brings up in me, I'm like, oh my gosh, our closeness makes it susceptible for me to like hurt you in a way that if I was more objective and removed, I wouldn't be a person that like would be. So I'm curious, and this is a vulnerable question I understand. So with that, with that reality in your mind, that you could just avoid mm-hmm. the potential. Which is another strategy of mine. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that. So you, you could avoid the potential to hurt somebody by just staying more objective. Yeah. So why not stay objective all the time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. And really don't, like, I don't want us to talk about theory right now. I think that's what I was going to say. Really... Theoretically, I think we've got that covered as to the why. Yes. We have so many trainings and things out yeah. there to talk about that. But I would love for you and I just to talk about that very explicitly for ourselves because I feel that as well. Mm-hmm. And when I get tired, I find myself staying more objective. Like, yeah. I'm just here to facilitate your process and I'm just trying yeah. to make space for you because I am tired. I, I yeah. don't want to join you right now. I don't yeah. say that. But you feel it. But I do it. Like I, I unintentionally do to my clients instead of do with. Yeah. And I hate those sessions because yeah. they just feel like exhausting. By the end of it, I'm just like, I, I feel like I've just been playing like bumper cars with them, trying to keep them in this path. And we're still doing work and they're still processing things and all that goes. Yeah. But it definitely feels different than when I have the space to be subjective and actually join. Yes. I think I, in some ways I hate those sessions and other ways they're like a really nice break. Mm -hmm. Like there's moments where it's like, okay, I I just needed like a few sessions like that where I could not feel as personally involved in like my own, um, yeah, as, as subjectively present. Mm. Like sometimes they feel like a nice break, which is why it's a strategy of mine, yeah. right? That more dismissive avoidant is like a nice rest totally. from all of those big feelings 100%. that I don't want to feel. Yeah, But I do see it take a, it, it has a cost on the relationship and the, the therapeutic work that's happening. Yeah, And so that's the other like weight on the other side is I recognize the impact that it has. And so Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's wrong or bad, but I don't want to stay there for very long. Yeah. I think we all have to like retreat to a space that says like, I need to get like regrounded and like feel Mm -hmm. like I have the energy to come back in and do this again, which I would do in any relationship, Yeah, like not just therapy, but any relationship. But if without that awareness, I think, it could be me as a therapist 10 years ago. That's what that was. Oh. Like very much more objective, um, still in a loving, kind way. Because right. I, I don't know how I'd be anything else. But Because that's still you. Yes. But removed enough that says like, this all doesn't have to like really directly affect me. Mm-hmm. Where now as I practice a decade later, it's so much more relational mm. that it, it, it weighs much more heavily but it's so much more meaningful. Yes, I completely agree. That was kind of at the center of the question for me when I asked, like, why not just stay objective all the time? Mm -hmm. We practice EMDR, which even in its most objective form still gets results. Yeah. So why not just stay objective? You can still be very kind, very compassionate, very 
you know, attuned in a way, we with the language of subjectivity would say that's not quite attunement as we understand it, but you're still paying attention to their feelings, you're still showing up for them, um, but you're staying out of it. But to me, there is a world of meaning and depth right below the surface. Yeah. If we just are brave enough together to look. Mm -hmm. And that's where, to me, when we become subjective in therapy and actually move into a relationship with these people, that's where so much change starts to happen yes. in my experience of my practice. And it is like thinking of how I was as a therapist before having the courage and bravery to step in and vulnerability more as a subject in it. It doesn't feel as meaningful as a work, like as a field of mm -hmm. practice. Like it felt like I was going in, running through a process <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah. Seven clients later that day, I was headed home. Yep. Oof. And every day. Yeah. And I, fortunately, I was young enough in my career that I wasn't facing burnout yet, but I could see how it could have gone that direction. Well, that you was know, what I was if something curious, didn't change. What was it like for you to encounter treatment, like, challenges or treatment breakdowns in that objective mindset like when treatment wasn't going as planned mm -hmm. what was it like for you then to encounter that um I think even in that I wasn't rigid enough that there was like it, it goes as planned like it has to go like this um it's hard it feels like forever ago to reflect <laughs> back on like there was, it was still relational enough. I don't think I've ever been like Perhaps super. This could be a question. So, what was a challenging case to you then? In general, yeah. Like, like what, what would have been a challenging case? Yeah, it, it like I mean, basically, what you're saying of like something that didn't go as planned. So, a tr treatment resistant. I worked in substance uh, abuse fields, and so that type of language, like treatment resistant, which means. Um, yeah, they're they're not showing the progress. They're not showing recovery steps. They're not mm -hmm. engaging. Maybe they're not. Um, they're just resistant to every approach or invitation that's mm -hmm. out there. And then it just there was this way of oh, this feels gross to say, but there was this way of like, well, that's their fault. Blaming them. Yeah, mm -hmm. and not not to them, right. but in, even in your own conceptualization of the case of like, well. This client just isn't ready for treatment. Right. So change can't be all yeah. us. Like they've what got stage a, of change are you in? Yep. And if you're in this interview. one, then yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. what's going on here? Which there's yeah. some truth to that. Like it, we talk about it in the language of there's invitation and that's all we can do. Yeah. And so I think there's similarity in that idea, but there's a difference in being able to like the invitation is this embodied invitation. I'm inviting you because I'm willing to step in too. Yes. Not I'm going to invite take, you from this safe place of like, you want to jump in there and I'll just watch you. It's like, I'm going to jump in yeah. and then invite you to come What in do you too. think about this phrase? Co-regulated responsibility. Tell me what you mean by it. So to me, when we practice objectively, we embrace this potential that one of us could meet a challenge in the relationship that makes it really hard for us to engage with mm -hmm. the desired treatment goals or the outcomes of the relationship. Yeah. In motivational interviewing language, that's their fault, like mm -hmm. almost purely. It's, well, we know that change is right for their system. Mm -hmm. And so really we're just waiting for them to get to 
reality and mm-hmm. recognize how ridiculous their choices are. Like you named your core values, you named your behaviors that are taking you away from those things, and you still continue to do it. So I'm just going to hold space for you until I hear enough change language to really yeah. push you over the edge into actually now experiencing this change and generalizing it to the rest of your life. That to me is the objective way of doing it. But when we have co-regulated responsibility, we recognize that there is good reason for them not to accept the invitation to change. That despite my rational, uh, intellectualized correctness of what I think change should look like for this person, there's a good reason their system is doing something else. And so when we take co-regulated responsibility, we're really saying like, my intention is to meet you and see where you're coming from and why your system has developed those strategies but for us to both agree that change is important, that we need to find change in this way. And to ask yourself the question, what what part am I playing as a human in creating in their lack of accepting the invitation? Mm-hmm. So it's not to say like, oh, well, I have to own all of the responsibility of like in this frantic, what do I need to do better? What do I need to do different? How do I need to be? Yeah. But it's saying like, oh, Am I like, is there something in our relationship that doesn't offer the safety that's required? Yes. And having the for it to happen. Yes. Having the agreement together that we're gonna look at that, yeah. not like decide whose fault it is. Yes. But that we'll both come to the table and say, like, something is happening between us yeah. that really to me is important for us to address. And not in a way that says the goal is to figure out whose fault it is and then expect that person to change, but say, right. like, what are we doing together to bring about a space that feels safer to both yeah. our mind and body? Yep. Co-regulated responsibility. So in that, we, I think it's pretty familiar practice for us relationally in our group, but also, like, with our clients to ask about the relationship. Yeah. When I talk to supervisees that are newer or consultees, that's a foreign thing. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable. And it's vulnerable. That's that's the answer I get of like, well, that feels scary. So I want to I want to ask you like, do you ever feel that? Like, what does that vulnerability feel like when you ask someone like, how how do you perceive me, mm-hmm. or what do you make of our relationship? So for me personally, that's a a a tough question in a way because I don't feel like my background led up to the place where I would have said that feels vulnerable because my understanding of psychotherapy was relationship first, Uh you know, back in uh, my undergrad and into graduate school, I was so captivated by relational psychoanalysis. Mm -hmm. And so that was literally seeing the relationship as the conduit of change. And so it was so you you had to talk about the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like you weren't doing therapy if you weren't talking about the relationship between you and the client or the patient in that language. And so when I came into counseling, I had a lot of people very much like, I mean, even in my graduate program, like kind of weirded out Yeah. Uh, about like, you tend to talk about the relationship a lot. Yeah. Like, what's that about? <laughs> you know, and almost like concerned about it in a way. Yeah. It's like, well, I genuinely believe this is a human relationship that we're in. No, this is a professional relationship. And that means that we are making space for them and you stay out of it. Mm-hmm. So to me... The feeling of like, oh, this is weird, doesn't come in the normal kind of client interactions that I have. When it does feel uncomfortable is when I am reminded of someone in my past Mm -hmm. in the relationship between us. And so like easy example is for if I'm interacting with somebody who starts to 
remind me of ways that my relationship was with my mother mm-hmm. early on in life. I find myself objectifying myself yeah. <laughs> into like, I am not about Your strategies. Oh, for sure. Up. They come out and I find myself being more dismissive, more, uh, kind of expectant of them to be the ones filling the space Mm -hmm. like okay you come in and you do this work Mm -hmm. and i just give you very kind of short guide rails and that's where i'm at um i don't i I don't easily talk about the relationship in those in those spaces i've told because it wasn't safe then ever to do that with your mom nope yeah and so in those spaces it's really hard for me to find the courage Mm -hmm. to talk about it and I'm trying to think now. I actually, this is weird to say, I actually don't think I have a disconfirming experience of that in my practice. There's two occasions where I've sat with somebody who really reminded me Uh of my mom. And when I brought up the relationship, it ended. Oh. The relationship ended. In one instance, though, that person did reach back out here recently um, looking for, they <laughs> said it in a very funny way. They said, um, hey, Bridger, I don't know if you remember me, um, but I've called around the city and no one seems to be wanting to see me. And so I thought I'd reach back out to you, which is a jab. <laughs> like, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. You're my last resort. You're my last resort, exactly. And you probably said yes. I did. Yeah. Beautiful human you are. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, and so, as true to form, they haven't actually booked a time yet. So we'll see what happens. But I am very much open to that mm-hmm. and desirous of a disconfirming experience together. But in that interaction, um, when I brought up the fact that we may be treating each other in ways that weren't about us now, but mm-hmm. were about relationships in the past, that was when it just went, pff, I mean, the relationship exploded and there was no space for rupture. They literally stood up and walked out of the room. That, that would leave me so curious of if they do come back. Because yeah. to me, the first thing you have to address, at least in my desires, would be, in my subjective desires, would be to address that piece. What yeah. happened? Like, what was that that we experienced and how have we both felt in that? And now we're coming back. Where is this relationship going to go yeah. here? That could be way too much too fast for that client. When I feel, yeah, like even just thinking about how I would show up in that space, I think my gut impulse would be to kind of be lighthearted, like catch up a little bit. Like it's been so long since I've seen you. Mm-hmm. What has your life been like? like what's been going on? And have them fill the space again. Like I think that strategy, strategy. yeah, for sure, is just to like let them fill the space and in that process help them feel seen and like I'm glad that they're back because I genuinely am. But at the same time, looking for is this space safe enough for me to name that that the way it ended, I would love to talk about if Mm -hmm. you have space for it. That, to me, is a beautiful picture of our 100% subjectivity is not always the best move yeah. for self or for the relationship yeah. or the other. But the utility of objective strategy with awareness in it. With awareness. Like you're, you have to have awareness. You 
are utilizing it as your system needs mm-hmm. in order to feel safe enough, but also to be able to recognize the reactivity of that person's system mm-hmm. to say like, that may be the interplay that we yeah. need for a period of time. And then I can choose to push past that yeah. and share a bit more. Yeah. This is also a client that had um, previous experience with EMDR in a substance use setting and their therapist would text during bilateral sets. Oh my gosh, I've heard of that so yes. many times. Yes. Text or check email. Mm-hmm. Or... During and if you're listening to this and you do that, Please I'm not stop. trying to shame you, Please but stop. at the same time, they like know. your your clients do know. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and when we would set up, we didn't get very far in RDI. Um, but when we would try, she would literally like she'd be like having the buzzers and close her eyes and look down, but then she'd like open one mm-hmm. eye and peek at me really quick. And when I would ask about it, she'd like, oh, my eye just twitches. Oh, really? Like, <laughs> like I see you doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Which tells you, it, oh, this oh, is man. interesting. In that moment, it's not even about EMDR right there. Right. It has nothing, nothing to, to do, do with that you. resource. Right. It has nothing to do with the trauma that you want to be working on. Nope. Nothing. Nope. You're doing EMDR, but yeah. what's actually happening is she is relationally checking. Checking. Do I matter enough to you to stay attuned? Are you like the person that hurt yeah. me? Am I safe right now? Oh, that is such a good example of like when we are doing EMDR, there is a million other things happening yeah. in them. Which I feel like in basic training, it's not talked about that way. Ever. Like when you do anything EMDR, it assumes that both parties are 100% engaged with that as the task. Uh-huh. Not, which I don't think is true at all. Ever. It can't be. <laughs> no. It can't but be. But it assumes that, yeah, when we're doing EMDR, like even that language. Yeah. Well, I haven't been doing EMDR with my clients. Yeah. Like that. We, the thing we try to decentralize so much of like EMDR is this larger process, okay? Uh-huh. And BLS and resource development, the different scripts and the different eight phases are a part of it, but it is not the whole thing. To me, that's a great example of how in that moment she was checking on me and I was checking on her. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that she wasn't engaging with the material. Yeah. I knew that she wasn't like her mind wasn't even safe enough, like thinking about polyvagal theory not even safe enough to be in this space of introspection. She yeah. was still searching the environment for threat. And maybe there was an objectified part in her that was able to like do the thing, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a part of her that could say, when you say like, what did you notice? Oh, I saw yeah. a yeah. bridge. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, hers like, was water. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a part of her doing that, but there's six other parts. Yeah. <laughs> Doing something very different. Yeah, it's just the thinking part of her brain that was doing the sticking with me and mm-hmm. going through this, you know, and she called it, um, oh, what does she call it? A very funny word. I think it was something like silly or doing your, oh, dang it. There was a phrase that she would say of doing your silly thing. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like um, your your silly script or something. I don't. I can't remember the exact phrase, but it was very like, very mm, demeaning to the process mm-hmm. in a way, like mm-hmm. condescending almost. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, don't busy me with your little thing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I did your little exercise or your cute <laughs> little thing, and yeah, I thought a of, little, yeah, little, I little, thought little. of water, and I, and she would do all of that. Like, <laughs> I thought of water, and and how beautiful the stream was and these flowers. But what is it going to do? 
And it's just like, yeah, like all up here, she was able to like stick with me, quote unquote. But any bid for her yeah. reacting yeah. jet. <laughs> I just feel it. But any bid for a deeper felt sense was laughed off because her body was still very much in defense mode. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Which as then the therapist, you could go a couple of ways. You can either... 100% buy it. Oh, that worked for her. She had this beautiful image. Like, I'm going to choose or maybe subconsciously ignore. I could tell you as a ignore. supervisor that part. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And even if it's not, like, intentional, I could subconsciously ignore all of the Omit. other cues because yeah. it feels so good that it's working. Let's move on to the next. Yeah. This is effective. Yeah, stream of fires. Wow. I love it. Go She's with it. never yeah. felt that relaxed before, right? <laughs> My body or, is, like, cringing right now. We could totally dismiss that part. And just get focused in on the, like, what was her body actually showing in that? Yeah. And Why was she interacting with it that way? Staying very curious and exploring of, like, okay, there's in- breadcrumbs. There's indicators that she doesn't feel safe enough to go more than just that one part of her into that place. She's going to send that objective part out to, like, experience this calm place, but then all these and other parts are alarmed. And so doing, like, placate me. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm doing your little thing. Yes. There's the other end of the spectrum of what you could do is like, well, this is a treatment-resistant client, and she's clearly yes, not she, actually wanting to participate. That like, same EMDR therapist that was texting during BLS fired her. <laughs> like, it's just, I mean, how many times are we going to hear this story? Mm-hmm. We, wow, this is spinning up into quite a conversation. Yeah. I'm not um, even sure where we started. I don't but. even know. Fly on the wall. <laughs> sure. Like, Hopefully this fits in the yeah, other I don't know. I do think about this a lot. But um, we as a field, I, I mean, we, we don't want to look at the real in that. Like, look at the reality yeah. of things. Yeah. Why are you calling them treatment resistant? Yeah. Because Just sit with in, that question. I can tell you yeah. immediately. It, because it feels intolerable to have to explore like what is happening between Between. me and them. Like I don't want to own any piece of that. And maybe it's coming from a place of insecurity. Maybe it's coming from- Fear of incompetence. Right. Yeah, powerlessness. Oh my gosh. Like out of control. You know, Caleb and I in in EBT talk about this a lot that there is a wish in our profession that Mm. if we do the right thing, it will work every time. Oh my gosh. And it comes from a beautiful place that Yes, wish. you want to help. You want to yeah. see change in your client's life. You want them to get better. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, is that my fault? Yeah. Or is it theirs? If we're in this do or done to complementarity relationship, it has to be someone's fault. Yeah. It's only when we're in mutual recognition that co-regulated responsibility. I don't know if you can tell I like that mm-hmm. word. I do too. Um, it's only when we're in that space that we can actually say, maybe this is about us mm-hmm. and what we're bringing in our 100% in me and the 100% in you into the space between us. Yeah. That requires us to not feel shame over what we bring. If we feel like we bring in this baggage and I feel shameful over what shows up with me every day, I have to objectify myself. I have to like disconnect that subjective me that is too shameful yeah. to bring in. So we need, I think we're supposed to take a break for the ad. I'm so glad you remember. I did because I was going to loop up and I realized this we should maybe do that for time. just a second. So I have a question for you on what you just shared. And then I share but, after the break. But we're going to share after the break. Look at you. 
You have to come back. As this is our first time to do this. You have to say, <laughs> please don't I have a question wait. for Jen. So we'll see you after the break. So we're back. <laughs> this is weird. We should give a little context, maybe. Yes. To what we're doing. Yes. Uh, we used to have to go back into episodes and find a place to put an ad, which would cut off thought. And so we're incorporating listener feedback, trying our best to do that. We're not that way as humans, and so it's going to feel a little strange at first. But I think will. a few episodes in, we'll get it down. Yeah. This is just our first one. Yeah. I don't even know if I want to say welcome back again. Like, well, Maybe we'll try it on next time. Okay. I think I just want to say, like, so we were talking about... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I did have a question for you, okay. which we left off on. So you were talking about how vulnerable it is to actually bring in your subjective experience as well as your responsibility taking yeah. in what is happening in the, therapeutic, in the therapeutic encounter. So as you transitioned over this past decade from more objective into more subjective... Yeah what was it like to encounter how scary and to recognize like the parts that you might feel shame over that you bring into the relationship? Yes. I would say that caretaking strategy has been one of those that have evolved. So that came with shame and maybe, maybe not even shame at first. It came with just a total lack of awareness. Mm. That was the strategy <laughs> of mine, right? Like, well, yeah, you don't have awareness of these things until you are shown them and then yeah. you're like, I can't unsee it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like that was just like, oh, I'm just, I like to like help people. That's yeah. what I do. I have yeah. all this story around it. Justifying it, yeah. Yeah. So that not even being like recognized and then in the process of seeing what it was, how do I dare say that to a client? Because that would be like inappropriate in the therapeutic setting. This isn't about me and my strategies or struggles. It would then turn into this like, well, now you need to like take care of me. Right. Or, that was the story that yes, you told yourself. Right. Yeah. So that there was this shame around, like, I wouldn't dare speak to that. In fact, I need to keep just, like, managing. Yeah, because what if I take up the space and then it becomes about my session? Yes, exactly. And then further evolving into having the courage to acknowledge it with a client at one point and being able to experience either confirming or disconfirming experiences of, like, did that play out is okay was that safe and yeah. I think through that my de-shaming of that strategy came more relationally mm. in our practice mm -hmm. compared to like with clients like it, it was once I felt like that's okay like that's an okay thing as long as I have awareness of it I could bring it in and just two a week two weeks ago I literally said to a client like I showed up five minutes late because I had left my cell phone somewhere I had to go back and get it and I just said to my client, like, I feel so afraid that I just hurt you. Like, I feel so anxious showing up. I'm pretty frazzled right now because I'm afraid, like, I just disappointed you. Mm. I just hurt you because I was late. And I, I don't even, yeah. And it, it played out, it played out well because I, I was able to acknowledge that. And I was able to say, like, that's a, a strategy of mine is, like, I'm afraid to hurt people. Like, I'm really afraid to disappoint and let people down. Mm -hmm. And through that, as we reflected, she was able to share with me, like, it was kind of nice to see you frazzled. Mm -hmm. And actually, the way she's she's a client who, like, we have a very long relationship, mm -hmm. and I feel like know each other well. Yeah, imagine what it was like to see the frazzled in retrospect to yes, the version. Yes, because she has seen the other version of yes. me. Because that's the like, I mean, we've had this long relationship and she was like, to see perfect Jen. I expected you to walk in in this like 
hi, how are you? In like a calm, grounded place. So she has seen me through a lot of that development um, mm-hmm. as a therapist. And so for her to think, you know, anticipate that I was going to come in fully grounded and just like, hey, how are you? Like, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and begin. Yeah. And she actually did a little impression of me. <laughs> Those are fun to see. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's startling. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, that is, that, I you totally would have done yeah. that. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. And it felt very vulnerable to instead like come in frazzled like I was genuinely I was speeding on the way here I was like frantic like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be late like I don't like to be late that's a whole thing in my past yep <laughs> and so to be like I'm pretty frazzled like I just I like I need a minute mm-hmm. and then I was able to tell her that piece on like I am afraid I'm disappointed like I'm disappointing you today because we do um like I have a whole room set up that I do for our sessions and I didn't have any of it set up. Oh. So we had to take like 10 more minutes to like to set it do up that. Together? Yeah. Which that's, we, we've set it up together before. But I was just like, I love to have it set up for her where she just gets to walk yeah. in and it's all there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But she was like, it is kind of nice to see you frazzled because I could tell you cared. Hmm. And yeah. So that's, I think, it was a huge disconfirming experience to me. Mm-hmm. And... I knew like in sharing that with her, I didn't have a lot of intention behind it other than you see me. Like I know she sees me as a human. And so it's like, if I am to try to present like I'm not right now, would be very deceptive. You're lying. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's just lying. It it really would have been. (laughs) It would have been very deceptive too. Like I have the awareness and I'm certain that you will feel it too. So to like say that it's not would be very confusing and yeah. gaslighting. Yes, yes. Which is, I would imagine, as it is for so many clients, like a part of the story that they are bringing in of yeah. like, they're kind of paying attention to that of, are you going to tell me that what I'm noticing is not actually there? Yeah. You know, that's where the client I was, talk, I was just talking about where they peaked during the, mm-hmm. during the bilateral. She would like, when I would check on like the, oh, that's just my eyes and she then would tell me about this other therapist who like she would so if I were to check in on the eyes like and she would say oh you know just my eyes sometimes do that my last therapist though did like she would almost tell me mm-hmm. what she was actually doing even though she just said that it yeah. wasn't what she was yeah. doing um, but my last therapist did you know when I would catch him like texting when Gosh. I would go through this and so this whole thing is really just activating to me and I was like oh my gosh like that's so terrible. And she's like, yeah, but I feel like you all do it. Like, <sighs> that is so not my desire. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really paying attention. I would tell her like what I'm looking at. And she's just like, I mean, I hear you, what you're saying, but it happened multiple times. And yeah. then, so I don't really believe you. Yeah. Which, why should she? She has no reason to. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes time to like re relearn that trust. Mm-hmm. Of like you are safe enough, you do care enough about me in this process. You're not sending me off on this journey alone, right? Untethered well, you and check your text messages. Yeah, and or play games or whatever. Invite me back. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you feeling? Like, where are you at? My, I'm, I'm in my mental space of like, where, where did we just go? <laughs> How does all this tie in? 
Do we need to bring an organizing structure to this conversation? Organizing principle. But... I mean, we're talking about fly on the wall, and I love how you said it in the beginning of the episode. You said fly on the wall of the mind of mm-hmm. a therapist. Mm-hmm. And that really does feel... I mean, the way I show up in therapy, I'm trying to think, like, through different cases, and some days are just brutal. Like, yesterday I saw 10 hours of... If it wasn't consultation, it was direct client care. And those days, like I know a lot of you are listening, like the people that I was spending time with, (laughs) and I don't, I would not change it at all. Like Mm -hmm. I love it so much, but my goodness, at the end of that day, I was just like driving home, like, Mm -hmm. man, like it is a lot to make space for other people's feelings. Mm And to go into each one as if, like, I'm the same, like, ready and present and, you know, know, kind of the, like, magnetic mind sort of like, yeah, I'm, like, ready to do all this organizing and be the version of myself that you signed up to meet. And it feels unfair to those at the end of the day. Because I I have one day a week that's a day like that. That involves clients and consultation is just boom, boom, boom. Which I feel so no lucky lunch. to say I have. <laughs> no way. No lunch. Barely bathroom breaks. Maybe once. Yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> Which I feel lucky to say I have one day because I no, there's so work many. with so many who have four or five days like that. Um, but in that, like, I, forget, I lost my train of thought. Do you remember what I was End saying? of day. You feel guilty. Oh, for those that are scheduled at the end of the day, I feel myself trying to muster up like mm-hmm. what subjectivity is left and then like grab a little bit of objectivity and toss it in there because like you deserve the me that showed up for my clients at the beginning of the day. Yes. Like you deserve that version of me. This feels very vulnerable to say, but it's real. Like I did it yesterday multiple times. Um, I have this little, <laughs> this <is so laughs> ridiculous. I can't wait to hear what you're about to say. I have this little box in my mind of stuff I think about when mm-hmm. I'm tired to get me back into the space. Like yeah. I'll find my mind drifting and I keep trying to bring myself back to like parsing out the person's story more and hearing the meaning and reflecting back. But sometimes I'm just tired. And so like today I had a meeting that I was really looking forward to. So yesterday I thought about it multiple times. I was like, I cannot wait. Because that, that gives you meeting. that zap of yeah, energy. Like, boom, and I was uh-huh. like back in it. And uh-huh. I felt like, oh, I'm here now. Like, yeah, tell me yes. about that. And really getting back into the feeling of the story. But before I was able to reach into that box and think about that thing for just a second. Like yeah. it's not me like not listening to the client right. and I'm like completely dissociated and thinking about something else. It's just like the idea of this meeting came in my mind and I was like, oh. Yeah. And it just like shot a little bit of energy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Ventral is a glimmer and I found it and I thought about it and I connected with it and I was back into the, to the moment. But it really does to me take those like kickstarts sometimes. I I mean, it was, it was number eight of 10 Mm -hmm. for the day. Like that's stupid like that why that amount, do that yeah, exactly like that amount is just i wouldn't advise so anyone much. to do that no but it just happens like mm-hmm. you know and when life happens outside of therapy that you know like you have x amount of clients that because of this event you are going to not be able to see them for three weeks yeah so oh my gosh do you want to 
commit yourself to that and not see them for three weeks? Or do you want to just pile on this week to make it hellacious, yeah. a 50-hour <laughs> client work week, and then you'll be better? <laughs> and then the problem will repeat itself again in about three, it four weeks. It will, though, probably, <laughs> but it will. That's <laughs> how it feels. Yes. Yes. What, at what point do you let your client in on that feeling? Like... I find myself really able to do it with consultees. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Like, I meet some consultees at 6 in the morning, which is, like, my time. But Mm -hmm. sometimes I am still groggy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I love waking up in the morning. Like, I'm so excited. But sometimes it's just like, man, I was up really late last night. And so getting up to meet you here now is a lot. And yesterday was a heavy day. Yeah. Like, not just time-wise, but, like, emotionally. I'm still carrying some of that into today and I'll, I'll be able to contextualize it because I feel like in that dynamic, I want them to feel invited to do that for themselves as well. Yeah. And to know that they can also name when they're bringing something into the space or when they feel like I had to put on a mask to be with you now. Like I want to speak to that directly. I feel this like they're allowed to do that. But I'm not. You're not. Yeah. As, con- as consultant, Jen? No. Well, no. Consultees, it feels very different. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Because I also feel that with my clients. Yes. Therapist Bridger is maybe just a touch. Like, you're able to say, like, yeah, it's just been a busy time. Yeah. Like, I'm just... They're like, oh, it feels like so a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer. <laughs> Which happened to be my hardest days. Like, my most back-to-back. So, I'm like, I don't know if I, like, planned that somehow. Like, oh, it just feels tagline. like a Monday. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what's been going on? Let's go. Catch me back up. <laughs> oh no! All my clients will hear. It feels like a Monday. Yeah. No. Now they know. <laughs> you have to change your line. <laughs> but it does feel like that. Like therapist Bridger has a much lower tolerance for my subjectivity in tiredness or fatigue showing yeah. up. My story is. I've, you know, that comes into the room a lot. Like I talk about my past, I talk about my relationships and how I've made sense of that and how I can understand how it's really hard to make sense of what I'm saying because we have these lived experiences that are so crazy. But so rarely do I actually say, I'm like zoning out right now because I'm tired. It's not you. Like I care about you deeply, but I'm just like having to come back to the room so often. Because my fear in that is that they would hear, I'm not engaging enough. I'm not that important to you. Like they would feel the like, oh, this is your job. Like I see the the work face. Like yes. this is work to you. Right. And that's not at all where my heart is in those spaces. No. Like it's so far from where my heart is. Yeah. If I'm sleepy, it's not because I don't care and yeah. I'm not invested and but I get sleepy in my marriage, right? Yes, like, and I care about him deeply. Yes, get, you get tired with your kids. Yes. You get, you know, like, just because you're tired does not mean that it's the fault of the one you're with. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was something, there was one more loop that I wanted to take, and now I'm forgetting what it, what it was. It has left me now. I feel like I just heard you say on a podcast, I listened to a lot of EBT yesterday while I was working. (laughs) You said something like, like what I say to my clients, or no, maybe Caleb said it. He was Caleb. 
if I if it was important enough for me to think of it once, it'll be important enough, enough for me to think of it again. <laughs> yep, that's a Calebism right there. That's a certified Calebism. Um, yeah, but I I do think that it's it's hard to name subjective fatigue mm-hmm. uh, as as a therapist and. That does show up, especially at the end of long client days. Um, it is hard. So maybe we try to challenge ourselves to like, what would it be like to think about sharing that with a client? Yeah. And exploring that. And on the next fly on the wall, we can talk about how that works. Because <laughs> it can't just be all talk, right? That's the truth. And we have to, yeah, very much so. What was that big, like, well, I was thinking about the person that I was with when it happened. And she's a 17-year-old. Um, not the one you're thinking of. Okay. Yeah, like, not the oh. one you're thinking of. Um, <laughs> but uh, she's a 17-year-old. and um, It would be okay if it was the one I'm thinking of. It's okay. It yeah. wasn't. I'm just, I'm just I saying. Wanted, like... I want you to know. Because I, <laughs> I didn't see her yesterday. <laughs> Uh, yesterday was Wednesday, but she was a 17-year-old that um, we have really connected on how special the relationship does feel. Mm-hmm. Like She feels like this is the only space that I feel seen, and we've talked so much about what it's like to go through life feeling like no one understands you and to have to develop a personality that just is content with that Yeah, and to just do that every day at school and at work and with her parents and all of these things. And so when it happened in that in that moment... I just would feel so terrible. Like that's what came up to yeah. me of like, what would it be like if I was just like, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm having a hard time today. Mm-hmm. And it's not your fault. Like that would literally like recapitulate yeah. her previous experiences. Of- so how do we tend to that when um, my belief is her body's probably feeling that. Yeah. Even in our best objective efforts Mm -hmm. like on a subconscious level they're feeling that Mm -hmm. hi you're okay hi Caleb do you want to pop in real quick this is would you like to say hi on the episode (laughs) get your things buddy (laughs) you're okay (laughs) I hate that we're creating that in so many people feeling i'm just gonna put this on the episode i, I don't even so. care it's caleb yeah, everyone caleb. knows and loves caleb yes we have a function going on in the basement level of our <laughs> of our building today which means this is the only door which is strange that we put a recording studio where there was a door to the outside yeah. but um <laughs> looking back now <laughs> the way you said that he's like first <laughs> Hopefully we'll get to change that soon. There's two garage doors and a door to the outside and the new one we're thinking of. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, like it doesn't matter. Talk about showing our subjectivity. This is fly on the wall. So, no, that's true. Yeah. Hey, this is Loop cool. it back in. This is a fly on the wall of what it's like to record a podcast at Beyond. <laughs> Welcome. It's busy in here, man. Maybe this is a great place to wrap up. Maybe so. I feel like we were on a thought, though. Oh, we were. Just to close the thought Mm -hmm. of it would recapitulate her traumatic experience of feeling so disinteresting to others that 
even in my prefaces of like, I'm going to share something with you <laughs> that I don't want to hurt your feelings in any way. Yeah. It's just information that might help you understand what you're picking up in me. And the, the, where we were as the battle of, is her body feeling that in some way and potentially... Yeah, despite like, our best objective efforts. Yes, yeah. I think that is like, if, to me, in the moment, it would be impossible for my body to do it in that context. Like, yeah. there is no effort I could muster to actually say that in that precious moment with her. Because it was a great session. That's the other yeah. hard thing. It's like, it really was an amazing yeah. session. Um, we were able to summarize so much of the growth and really stamp the disconfirming experiences like certified these are disconfirming experiences that we've had all throughout our relationship and what it means for her getting ready to go into senior year of high school then to me in that context that information isn't necessary right like is this story Jen? it could be challenge me on it if okay. it is but let me let me tell the rest of it first. yeah let me let me tell you on it before if it's presenting as a rupture we speak to it to offer repair in context but if her body was somehow picking up on it but was still able to not internalize it and say, he must be disinterested in me. You guys still had the therapeutic looping <laughs> where we said, this, these are the disconfirming experiences. To me, her system must have, if it sensed it at all, been able to categorize it more accurately and mm-hmm. move on yeah, with the relationship her yes and to still focus so you on... could say it but then like why right i'm also Feels not like going to a... tell you my left toe itches right now right like yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> as i touch my right toe yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in a context where maybe i'm in that place and i just feel like we're just off this session yeah and i think that that like my exhaustion is maybe contributing to that in a way, or I'm reflective on that. Yeah, that seems That's like a really, like really relevant to like this is perhaps why. Yes, like I'm I'm showing curiosity and why we feel disconnected. And if you even feel that we yes are disconnected, or if you feel that we're disconnected, right? You're probing that and offering up a potential right. that you're also taking that co-regulated responsibility for. Ew. Yes. Yeah. So I think I don't know. Was that just story? It does feel like fear avoidance, but I can't argue with you. Like both both feel true to me that yeah. it does feel like story, but I like I would choose that story. <laughs> like I don't know. Like <laughs> But we're very much alike in our story. We are very much alike. But I don't know how to There's another fly on the wall moment if you hear construction outside. Um I don't know. Because I do feel like it would distract away from the, the work in a way that wasn't being noticed prior to. Or wasn't problematic if it was being noticed. Right. Like, mm-hmm. it just, it, I mean, and I feel like I have a pretty good awareness of what loops feel like and what they don't mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. And it felt like we got into larger and larger loops as the session went on, despite my need to kind of check back in with myself and think about that fun meeting I was going to yeah. have the next day and then get back into it. Um I don't know. What do you feel? I feel the desire to reflect on it over these next couple of weeks with yeah. my clients and and try to challenge myself of, is that story fear avoidance? Or are there moments I could genuinely identify like this is coming to play and I feel afraid to speak to it, but I feel like it's necessary or important. Yeah. 
compared to I'm I'm afraid to speak to it, but it also doesn't feel like it would offer gain. Yeah. I know this is now a long episode. I'm sorry about that. But I was thinking there was a session that I had the last one yesterday was a session that this, this client and I have not been able to find a time to meet these past four weeks, um, this past month. Because that is of, so hard. Yes, because of their schedule and mine and like so much of me, like my caretaking strategies want to just like clear things. And yeah. But I would be sacrificing like Olivia's time yeah. and agreements that we've made to do things and your time in a couple mm-hmm. different instances. Um, like that's not something I, I want to do. Like I value those relationships too much. I just have to say no. Mm-hmm. But that meant that he was also forced to look at his schedule and we couldn't find a time. Yeah. So I literally had to do a 30 minute session yesterday because it was the only time it was Gosh. right before group therapy. <laughs> like, and it was right after another call. And it was a 30 minute check-in that I didn't charge him for. Cause I was like, I just want to connect with him. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. And we got on the phone and the first thing that we talked about is how crazy life feels right now. Mm. So it was outside of a session because we didn't, I didn't charge him for it and I didn't feel compelled to, but it, was about our relationship like life is just nuts right now Mm. and he's living apart from his his partner right now um, because he's in a medical residency and that feels really hard and he's having to go back and forth right now because they're about to get married and so it's just challenging yeah but we were able to reflect on that together of what it's like to feel a desire to connect and enjoy a special relationship, which we have talked in depth about this, the power of the relationship, but how life just sometimes takes away yeah. our opportunity to do the things we want to. Gosh, that to me just illuminates the subjectivity of that relationship. If it was more of this object, object dynamic, it would be 30 minutes. I'll just charge you half a session. Or if we can't make our schedules align, let's try for next month. Yeah. And none of that is wrong or bad if you need those personal boundaries. boundaries yeah, but limits that I you can have. feel from you the care you have yeah. for that individual. Like, I just genuinely want to connect so that we can pick back up on that work yes. more easily. Like the more time that goes by, the harder it's going to be to feel yeah. connected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I was mm. thinking of. Okay, this was fun. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. I think like I need this regularly. We should do it regularly. This <laughs> okay. is what our fly in the wall is. Yeah, like, it's just it connecting really, this way. Really good because we it, things have gotten so busy at Beyond. We don't get like time to just reflect and talk as often as what we used to in the earlier. Yes, earlier when it was days. just the four of us all together at the same time. All the time. <laughs> Had to be because nothing would get. <laughs> yes. So, well, thank you guys for joining us today. I hope um, you enjoy being a fly on the wall and seeing the chaos (laughs) that can play out in this space. But we'll look forward to all the episodes to come on this next season. We've got some great interviews coming and um, just exciting topics. So we'll talk to you again in a few weeks. Stay tuned. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information 
on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast.